Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. So with the the time that we have remaining, we want to open up our Bibles, grab your copy of God's Word, and flip back over to 1 John. We're going to continue our work. We have titled our series, Tested Assurance. And we're looking at 1 John and looking at the myriad of tests that John lays forth before Christians before this church that he's writing to specifically, and we want to compare ourselves, compare our lives against these tests and see if indeed we are in the faith. Have we just been going to church, or do we truly have the power of God residing within us? In order to get to that sweet song of blessed assurance, in order to have blessed assurance, we must have tested Assurance. We need to make sure that I am sure that I am in the faith, that I know the Lord God Almighty. So that's what we're doing as we go through First John. I've titled today's sermon, Lies and Promises. As you see there, we're in First John 1, 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, the last time that we were together, obviously, Gabby and I were not here last week. We were on a bit of a vacation, um, and so... The week before that, when we were here together, we were in this same section, and we talked about that day, that this was, uh, we were just going to focus on those first three verses, verse 5, 6, and 7, and we would come back and visit the whole uh, section. So that's what we're going to do this morning, is spend our time there, and I hope you have your bulletin and a pen ready to take some notes, Um, and I hope that you have flipped over to 1 John. Let's stand. And let's read this together. This is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the light, I'm sorry, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And the whole church said, Amen. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning with our Bibles open, needing to hear from you this morning as always, Lord. Lord, I pray that you have been working in our hearts up to this point, Lord, to prepare the soil in our hearts that it would be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word this morning. I pray that I would only be faithful to what is written and not share human ideas or man-made philosophies, but strictly stay true to what is written, Lord. We pray that your word would go forth in power and that Jesus Christ would be magnified. It's his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So if you have your bulletin open, you see where we're headed this morning. We're going to, you might have noticed it as you were reading, that there were three preposterous proclamations being made and then three powerful promises that were following up those proclamations. And so what we want to do is we want to examine those today. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to kind of recap where we were the last time we were together to refresh our memory. And in order to do that, I want you to focus on verse 5. This is the key to the rest of this passage. If we skip over this, nothing else matters. John writes, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This statement, this powerful, emphatic statement that John is making sets up everything else that he's about to say, and it certainly sets up the rest of the book. So if we gloss over verse 5, it really doesn't matter if we come and listen to the rest of the messages because we are missing the key part here, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all whatsoever. And we discuss that what that means is It's talking about God's nature, His character, who He is, that He is light. Because notice, your Bible doesn't say that God shines as a light. It doesn't say that God shines a bright light. It doesn't say that God is a light or the light. It says that God is light. What is He saying? Is that God's nature and character is as pure as bright light. He is holy, perfect, without sin, without any shifting or changing within. There is no shadow in the character of Almighty God. He is perfect, without sin. And if that is the truth, then John further emphasizes this and says, God is light, and there is no darkness in Him at all. Not even a little bit, not sometimes, not on occasion. There is no darkness in God whatsoever. Therefore, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. This is our first preposterous proclamation is that I have fellowship with Him. But the difference here is that I'm saying I have fellowship with Him while I walk in darkness. In other words, my proclamation does not mean anything. It's a preposterous 
proclamation. It's not possible. You can't possibly say that you know and you have fellowship with the God who is light when your life is lived in the darkness. It's not possible. There's no way. What does John say about this person is that we lie. We're liars when we say that. Now this morning, we're going to draw, I'm going to draw the same straight line that John is drawing. Notice that John does not soften the blow any step of the way here. He draws a very straight line and says, you're either over there or you're over here. There's no in-between here. Either you're saying that you have fellowship with Him while you walk in darkness and you're a liar, or you have fellowship with Him really. There's only one of two options here with what John is writing And we want to allow the sting of that reality to hit us this morning. We don't want to deflect and look at this and say, man, I sure wish this other person was listening. Man, I sure wish so-and-so was here this morning to hear this. We're not to nudge our neighbor and say, I hope you're listening to this. No, we want to examine our self by the written word of God of God if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie I want you to notice a word that John is using here he says if we say and this might seem small but this is so important because John is not pointing the finger at other people only he's including himself in what he's saying Now, why does that matter? Why is that so important? Because John walked with Jesus. John saw the miracles that Jesus performed. We we talked about this last time. That he was there at the foot of the cross when, when Christ gave his last dying breath as he was bearing the sin of the world and absorbing the Father's wrath. John was right there. John saw the resurrected Savior John was given apostolic authority to go and teach the Word of God, and he is still saying, we. In other words, even if I say that I have fellowship with Him while I walk in darkness, I'm a liar. And so I say to you this morning, even as me, as the pastor of this church, I'm not above the reproof of Scripture Even if I were to say that I have fellowship with God, but I walk in darkness, my life is lived in the shadows. My life is hidden away from other people. And my life is hidden away from the gaze of Almighty God. If I do not have the light within me, I am a liar. And that's how we need to all examine ourselves against this Scripture this morning. Is have I been saying, I have fellowship with God while I walk in darkness. Now, what does this mean? I always reiterate this, and I will continue to reiterate this, because we tend to think that darkness only means that you go to clubs on the weekend, that you're a thief, you cuss a lot, you do this and that and the other. Those are the people that live in darkness. But no, the people who live in darkness are anybody who is living outside of what God has prescribed. 
What is God's law? What is God, God's written law towards the people? Am I living outside of that? Because His Word is truth. His Word is the light. His life is the light. If I don't have that within me, if I'm not living within that, then it does not matter how moral a person that I am. It doesn't matter how much I tithe to the church. It doesn't matter how long I've been going to church. It doesn't matter how many petitions I sign in favor of saving and protecting the unborn. If I walk in darkness, I am a liar. Do we see, do we feel the weight of that in this text this morning? If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, we see our first powerful promise. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Our first powerful promise to coincide with the preposterous proclamation is that we can have fellowship with Him. The crazy thing that is being said in verse 6 is not that I have fellowship with God. It's that I have fellowship with God while I walk in darkness. But the reality is that because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can indeed have fellowship with Him. We can know God. You can know Him for yourself. Notice again what John says, we. That's all of us. That's not apostles. That's not strictly pastors and evangelists and prophets. That's we, all of us, can have fellowship with one another. Now, he's meaning two things here. One another, meaning between us and God. We learned in our first section in the introduction to this, uh, to this chapter that he was saying that this is the message that we are proclaiming to you so that you can have fellowship with us. Look back at it. Let's just look at it. It's in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So you see, when he's talking about here that we have fellowship with one another, he's talking about that fellowship with God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit first, and then fellowship with one another horizontally. We've talked about this before. But in the Baptist community, we think the fellowship means that we share a meal together. That that is what fellowship is. But people do that all the time who don't know a thing about God. Last night, plenty of people all across town were gathered together, sharing, hugging each other, sharing a meal, doing all kinds of things, and they are as far from God as can be. Spending time with one another is not primarily what is meant by fellowship. That's just spending time with one another. Now, we call it fellowship, and that's fine. I'm not here to, to try to change the way that we talk. But what we need to see here is that fellowship is first and foremost a sharing in the relationship with God the Father. 
It is a sharing in this relationship with God the Son. It is sharing in this powerful working of God the Spirit in our lives. It is indeed that you walk in the light and I walk in the light. So then we have fellowship with one another. We are equally partaking of the same glorious divine benefits. Are you following me? That's first and foremost what fellowship is. And then, of course, the way that can work itself out is in spending time with one another. But that time spent with one another means nothing more than just time with one another if we do not first have fellowship with the Lord. That is what is lasting. That is what is first meant by fellowship. True fellowship with one another is born out of communion with God. That's what we see here. But we can have that is the promise for us. That we can have fellowship with the Father. Not while we walk in darkness though, right? What does he say in verse 7? If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin you remember in genesis 1 when spirit hovered over the waters and the earth was formless and void and there was nothingness there and into that nothingness god spoke powerful words he said let there be light what happened instantly? There was light. And you don't have to be told that there was light because you could see it. It was there. And it was caused by Almighty God because He is the light. And in the same way, the Spirit of God, when He intends to save a person, He speaks into the nothingness, the formless void that is in your spirit, and He says, let there be light. And then light comes within you, and the light is on, and I can see now. I can suddenly see the glory of the Father and of the Son. I see it. Why? Because the light is on. When that happens, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, it doesn't, it doesn't reside in your raising your hand and saying, yes, I want Jesus. Yes, I don't want to go to hell. That's not the light. The light is within you. It is the Spirit of God shedding abroad in your heart. My friends, you cannot fake this. You could fake the world, can't you? And that's what he says in verse 6. You can lie. And guess what? You might fool other people. We might all think that you're the greatest Christian. But you know whether or not you're in the darkness. You know if the light is on within you. You know that if you go to pray, you're bored and you're sleepy and you just have no desire to speak to God. That's the darkness, my friends. You know that if you open the Bible and it's just words on the page and I have no idea, I don't care about this at all, that is the darkness. That is claiming to have fellowship with God who is light and living in darkness and becoming a liar. 
our second preposterous proclamation is that if we have no sin, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Do you see the hard, straight line that John is drawing? I hope that when you read this, you say, gosh, that is tough. Because it is. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Now, what does this mean? Because you might read that and say, well, that's ridiculous. Who would say that? Well, here's what we do. We're very comfortable with admitting, I'm not a perfect person. We're very comfortable with saying, you know, I have, I have my flaws. We're very comfortable with saying, you know, I, there, there's some things that I could probably do better. But a sinner? No. No, I wouldn't say that. Sinners are the people who don't go to church. Sinners are the people who are at the bars all night. Sinners are the people who broke into my car or into my home. Sinners are the people who are rioting and burning down cities. Those are sinners. As we're learning very clearly in our studies in Romans on Wednesday nights, it tells us in chapter 3 very clearly that all have sinned. Every last one of us. We've all sinned. But not just that. We continue to sin. We didn't just sin in the past a time. We didn't just have four years. You know, there was definitely four years of my life where I was a sinner. I'll admit that. But now I'm, I'm, I'm good now. What does our passage say? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. See, in verse 6, you're lying to other people. And in verse 8, you're lying to yourself. Could there be a sadder state to be in than to be lying to yourself, and not just lying to yourself, but believing your own lie? It is pulling the wool over your eyes and saying, I'm comfortable here. Has anybody ever seen Home Alone? This might come out of left field for you. But the analogy that comes to mind is there's a part where Kevin is first realizing that he's home alone and he's having a good time and he's running around the house screaming. And he's just enjoying living his best life. And then someone knocks on the door. And what does he do? He runs upstairs, runs to the bed, and pulls the covers over his face. Now, is he safe in that moment? If someone were to come into the house and break into the home, is he safe under the blankets? Of course not. He's deceiving himself. It's making him feel comfortable. Now, and I understand that he wasn't in that moment dece deceiving himself according to this passage, but you understand the analogy that when we deceive ourselves, we hear of the danger and we pull the cover of our own self-righteousness over our heads and we say, okay, I'm safe now. Why? Because it feels a lot better to say, oh, well, you know what? I have some mistakes. I have some flaws. I occasionally do this, that, and the other. It feels better to say that than to out yourself and say, no, I'm a sinner. I sin. I sin daily. 
And not just that I sin daily. I sin because I love it. I talk about people behind their back because it makes me feel good. I tell lies to people because it feels good. I love it. I drink more than I should because I love it. I love to sin. My friends, that is coming to the light. That is outing yourself as a sinner. We see all throughout Scripture that we don't sin just because we, we're not sinners because we occasionally fall. We are sinners because it's inherent to our nature. The same way that God's nature is light, our nature is not light. Our nature is sin. So when we sin, when we sin against the law of God, when we transgress against what we know to be written and know to be true, we do it because we love it. I know that's hard to hear for you this morning. But if we're being honest, if we let the Spirit convict us, well, see, that's true. That's true. I'm greedy because I love money. I'm jealous of other people because I hate when other people have things that I don't have. I do this because I love the sin. I love it. That is the reality of the human condition, my friends. So when we say we don't have sin, it's a preposterous proclamation. You're deceiving yourself. What's sad about it is that in verse 6, you're telling a lie and people might believe you or not. But we see the condition is worse in verse 8 because it doesn't say you lie to yourself. It says you deceive yourself. It means you're believing it. That I'm telling this lie to myself. I look myself in the mirror every day. I say you're good. And I believe it. And I'm comfortable. There's no scarier place to be than comfortable outside of the grace of God. This is what we do when we deceive ourselves. No, there won't come a day of judgment. No, God's not really watching me. Yeah, that's really meant for some other people. But me, I'm good. We're deceiving ourselves, church. I want you to see that from this text. This isn't Pastor Matt telling you this. This is what John is writing. This is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is writing to everyone who opens this book and reads it that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And worse, the truth is not in us. What does that mean? That you can claim to be a Christian, but you're not. That's the hard line that John is drawing. Yeah, you go to church. Yeah, that's great. You're super moral. That's great. You haven't said a cuss word in your whole life. You've never touched alcohol. Wonderful. But if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself and the truth's not in you. If you say that you have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness, you're a liar. What is John saying here? He's making it very clear for us to examine our own hearts 
and say, is this me? Is that me? Is that what I do? Do I deceive myself, God? Please don't let me be self-deceived. Please. Don't let me lie to myself. Who cares if other people believe me that I'm a Christian? Who cares if it's more comfortable and it feels good to pretend to be a Christian? I promise you, nothing feels as good as forgiven. Nothing. Nothing feels as good as bringing your whole mess of sin to the light and saying, here it is. I'm terrible. I am the worst. That's what Paul did. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then, understanding that that's the reality, Paul then says immediately his next statement, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the worst sinner. If, if it's true that Jesus Christ came to the world to save people who are sinful, then, brother, I'm first in line because I'm the worst sinner I know. But hallelujah, because that means that he came to save people like me. He didn't come to save the churchgoer who is comfortable telling people, I'm yes, I have fellowship with him while I live in darkness. He didn't come for that. He came for the person that said, I'm a sinner. Somebody help me. Save me. Help me here. I don't know how to do this. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? He said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but the unrighteous. The Son of Man came to seek and save, not the found, not the people who had it pretty much figured out on their own, the people who were lost. I don't know where I'm at out here. I've been going to church for 863 years, but I don't know Jesus. I open my Bible, and it's just words on the page, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it, but nothing's happening. What is going on? You're lost. Say it. Own it. Come to the light with your lostness. Come to the light with your sinfulness. Come to the light and out yourself that you are the worst sinner. Own it. Because Christ Jesus came to save people like you. But not the good ones. Not the ones who are more afraid of being outed as a sinner. He came to save the ones who say, yeah, I'm terrible. I need help. Save me. And that's what we see in verse 9. Our second powerful promise is that we can indeed be forgiven and cleansed. What does he say in verse 9? If we confess our sins, it's exactly what I was talking about. That if you out yourself as a sinner, if you bring your sinfulness to the light and confess it, say it, bring it out, God knows anyway. You're not going to surprise him. You're not going to say that you're a sinner. He's going to be like, what? No way. I see you in church every Sunday. He's going to say, yes, child, I know. Now I can be faithful and just and forgive you. Look at it, verse 9. 
if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a powerful promise this is that that same person who is filthy and dirty and sinful can come to the light and God will be faithful to forgive that person. Faithful because this is his character and this is his nature. It is a truth that Christ Jesus only specifically, exclusively saves sinners. Not good people. Not nice people. Sinners. Not people who occasionally mess up. Not people who might have their flaws. Sinners. That's what he says, isn't it? Verse 9, if we confess our occasional imperfections, no. If we confess our, uh, from time to time, I overindulge, no. If we confess our sin, if I come to the light and say, I am a sinner, give me some of that grace, please. Then God is faithful and just to forgive you. But it's only when you come to the light confessing that you're a sinner. And this is a continuous process, my friends. You will always sin. You'll never not sin. You can call it an imperfection, but that's not truly what it is. It's truly a sin. Christians sin. We do every single day of our lives. And if we say we don't, then we deceive ourselves. But the quicker that you can come to terms and to grips with the reality that you personally, not everybody else, not other people, not the people you wish were listening, but that you personally are a sinner to the degree that you are walking in that light, shedding the light on yourself, that is to the degree that you will experience greater manifestations of God's grace in your life. We're not just talking about living a good life and God provides for your bills. Jesus didn't die for that, folks. Jesus died to forgive you of your sins because you desperately need it. And then to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why? So that you could then live the rest of your life in fellowship with Him. You could know Him personally, deeply, truly. Where does it start is with confessing our sins. And lastly, if we say we have not sinned, the worst of all, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, that I never have even committed a sin, then we make God a liar. That God is the one who's lying. Why would it say that? Because what would he have sent Jesus Christ for? If people aren't sinners, then why did Jesus Christ die? Why, what was the agony for on the cross? 
What was his tremendous suffering for? What did he spill his blood for? What did he do? Why did he absorb the wrath of God if there was no wrath there to absorb? He never would have had to have come to the earth in the first place if people were not sinners. But you see, the very fact that he came here is evidenced that he is saving sinners, that we are sinners. You know what? All of us are. All of us, myself included. I proudly will say that I'm the worst. I believe in my heart that God called me to be a pastor, not because I'm better than everyone, because I'm worse. Well, that doesn't make any sense, Matt. It's because then, in my weakness, the power of Christ rests upon me. In my absolute inability to do this on my own, God alone stands to get the glory. Not me. And it's the same thing in your life. Do you understand that? Our last powerful promise. John does something so interesting here. He starts verse 1 with, My little children. It's almost as though you can feel John understanding that what I've been saying is very hard. And I know that it hurt. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. What is he saying? I'm not writing this to be mean to you. I'm not writing this so that you'll feel bad about yourself. I'm writing this stuff so that you may not sin anymore. But... If anyone does sin, which you will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not our sins only, the sins of the whole world. Do you understand what he's saying here? So when you sin, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is advocating your cause. He is pleading your cause on your behalf. Why? If you are a child of God, when you sin, Jesus looks at his Father, says, Father, forgive them again. I paid for it. I paid for that sin. Forgive them again. And the Father's great pleasure is to say, yes, son. That's what he said, didn't it? That he is faithful And just. What does that mean there? It means that when Jesus Christ came to this earth, notice John calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous one who will cleanse us from our unrighteousness. What is he saying is that when Christ came to this earth and he lived a righteous life, he was perfect. He never He could say, I have no sin, and he was telling the truth. He could say, I have not sinned, and he was telling the truth because he lived perfectly. He could say, I have fellowship with the Father because he walked in the light. And he went to the cross, and on that cross, he bore all of your darkness, all of your sinfulness. 
Every last lie you've ever told, every time you've hated someone, every time you've gossiped about somebody, every time you've spread rumors, every time that you've held lust in your heart, every time that you yawned at the gospel, every time that you fell asleep praying, every time you broke your, your promises to God, yet again, every time that you were greedy and greedy and greedy, Jesus Christ the righteous became all of your unrighteousness. And at that moment, the Father took His wrath and poured it on Him. He punished your sins in Jesus Christ. This is what He means in verse 2, that He is the propitiation for our sins. He absorbed your penalty and then went up to the right hand of the Father after He died and was resurrected, went to the right hand of the Father where He now advocates for sinners Notice, he doesn't advocate for your sin. What does that mean? That he doesn't excuse your sin. He pleads your cause if you have put your trust in him, if you have called upon him as the Lord, if you have repented and turned to him and put all of your faith in him. He advocates for sinners because you have trusted in him as your advocate. And His blood washes you clean. Let's stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time together this morning. Lord, I pray that... I pray that we are all walking in the light, Lord. I pray that we all have fellowship with you, that we may have fellowship with one another. I pray that we would be a people who are boldly confessing that we are sinful people, that your grace and your mercy may wash us clean. I pray that we would be in communion with you this week, Lord. I pray that our minds would be stayed on things above. I pray that we would go forth and, and do the, the, the good works that you have prepared for all of us, Father. We pray for this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.